0: Good morning. Thank you, uh, Chris and Anna, for those songs. Uh, I'll share a little bit more about those two particular songs later on. I am truly grateful and thankful to stand before you this morning to share from the Word of God. I do thank, for, thank you for all of those who uh, pray for us, who share from the word here it really is a blessing to know that there are people praying and I would like to thank everyone who has shared in ministry from this particular episode that we've been in 1st Peter I thank all the brothers who shared over the past many weeks and it truly has been a blessing and encouragement for us for me for our family uh, we are in the last section of uh, First Peter chapter 5, and last week uh, Jack ended with verse 5, but I will also include verse 5 today in as we look at the word. Addressed to Christians who are suffering from the throes of persecution, it really is an epistle of encouragement in suffering, of the living hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that right in the beginning of... The chapter 1, of his grace to us, we just sang of his amazing grace, of his grace to us in salvation, of his grace to us in daily living, of his grace to us in suffering, of his grace to us really in all of life. It's also an epistle that reminded the readers of the glory that was ahead of them, glory that is guaranteed. And think of it, you know, we are reading it I wouldn't say detached, but in a sense a detached fashion, 2,000 years from when Peter wrote this, to the believers who were in the throes of persecution under the hand of Rome, Emperor Nero in Rome, and other places that were scattered. What an encouragement it must have been to the believers reading it, as it is to us today. You know, if John is the apostle of love, he describes himself as the apostle that Jesus loved. It's true for each one of us. Jesus loves us. 1 John 3 says, Behold what love the Father hath bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God. If John is the apostle of love, Paul perhaps is the apostle of faith. Ephesians 2, verse 8, By grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. In Romans 3, that Evan often reads, there's a righteousness that comes apart from the law, a righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul would be perhaps the apostle of faith, but Peter is the apostle of hope. In uh, verse, if we go back to chapter 1 and verse 3, he he mentioned it already. It's begotten us to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. In chapter 1, verse 13, Therefore gut up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully, upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The songwriter has it right, doesn't he? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You know, hope for the believer is not kind of a vague hope, so something, you know, in the future, by and by. It's a living hope. We can rest our lives on it. We do rest our lives on it. And it's based on the reality of the risen Savior, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So let's read our passage this morning, 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm starting again at verse 5, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. I'm reading from the New King James version. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another, and be clothed with humility, For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then he has a couple verses of uh, and salutation. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand she who is in Babylon elects together with you greets you and so does Mark my son greet one another with a kiss of love peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus amen amen may the Lord bless the reading of his word let's look to him Father I just come to you this morning thank you for the chance to open your word thank you for your word that brings light and life to us, Lord. Your word is sharper than a two edged sword. Your word is useful for doctrine, for correction, for instruction, reproof, and all of it is God breed. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning from your word. And that you would encourage our hearts, Lord, if there's one here who doesn't know you, that they would know this hope that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, this living hope that we can trust and lean our lives on so we just commit that to you pray for those who are not here this morning that you would be with them and pray thank you for so many who are praying for our family lord i just give you thanks for that we feel those prayers we know that we are in your hands and so thank you for your goodness and mercy faithfulness to us we just ask this in jesus precious name amen in this closing section uh, peter gives us three uh, exhortations or admonitions to the believers, uh, and uh, the last three verses are just a final closing salutation. What are these three admonitions? It's on your outline this morning. And uh, be humble, verses five through seven. Be watchful, verses eight and nine. And be hopeful, verses ten through eleven. First, let's look at verses five through uh, seven. Be humble. Remember, as we've looked through this epistle, Peter has already admonished the saints to be submissive. He said to governmental authorities in chapter 2, slaves submissive to their masters, and also in chapter 2, verse 18 through 25, and verse chapter 3, wives to submit to their husbands. And we have studied, a number of brothers have shared from those sections previously. Now Peter comments on his authority as an apostle of God. For all believers to submit to God and to each other and to be clothed with humility. For all believers to submit to God and to each other and to be clothed with humility. And he gives three reasons. Firstly, humility is required. It's a command from Peter's, likewise, submit. All of you be submitted to one another. You know, the Lord Jesus in his earthly life was the ultimate example, the epitome of humility. We looked this morning at the awesomeness of the Creator God. Genesis 1 was read to us this morning. That same creator God who became man in John chapter 13. The one who flung stars into space. The one who had the authority to heal. The one who could stop the wind and the waves. The one who ultimately went to the cross. That one girds a towel around himself, stoops down, washes the disciples. You know, they didn't have... Closed shoes in those days, they wore open sandals on those muddy roads, those muddy, smelly, dirty feet. He stoops down and washes that feet. The ultimate example of humility, but then it goes beyond that, doesn't it? In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about the ultimate humility of God. One who considered it an under robbery to be equal with God, humbling himself, becoming obedient taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient, even death on the cross. Here, Peter is also exhorting younger believers to uh, submit to older ones. And, and the last time uh, Jack mentioned this, uh, younger might be younger in age. It might be younger in the faith. It might be anyone who is not an apostle. But uh, I would submit that it's, yeah, he was addressing younger in age to submit to those who are more spiritually mature, this is not to suggest that only older in age believers run the church and never listen to younger believers. No, that's not the case. That's not what Peter suggested. But are you willing to submit to those who are more mature in the faith that to take the advice from them? I remember Dave Glock when he had come here a long time ago and he was talking about one of his classes in the Bible. I'm not sure what particular. Uh, section was but, and one of the students said, "My opinion is equally valid to yours." And Dave said, "No, it's not." This idea from secular culture that everyone's opinions are equal. As someone who knows the Bible back to back, we listen to them. Now we submit to God first, but then be submissive to our elders. Huh? Sadly, in many assemblies, that's the case: that the older ones never allow the younger ones to. Uh, have any role I'm so thankful that as a group of elders here we've consciously, deliberately wanted the younger brothers and sisters to be involved and to be teaching here and so we thank the Lord for that you know true humility I mentioned Philippians 2, that's the description of true humility It is not humility is not demeaning ourselves or thinking poorly of ourselves, it really is not thinking of ourselves at all It's not thinking of ourselves at all. You've perhaps heard the acronym for joy in your life. It says Jesus, it's others, and then it's you. Jesus first, be submissive to God, and then be submissive to one another, and then you. That We will never be submissive to others unless we are first submissive to God. So secondly, humility is reasonable. You know, submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. The word, the Greek word that's used for clothed is to gird oneself. It's the, uh, the idea of, we, we don't have it in our culture here, but in Asian cultures, you know, you have an uh, uh, outfit that you wear that you gird yourself with and maybe you tie it up. That's the idea, that you clothe yourself with humility. Humility is something we wear and put it on and tuck it in. It is an elusive characteristic. Jack mentioned that last time. If you know we have it and it's a source of pride to us, we don't have it. It would be like the example I've shared this before, like the example of the deacon in a church who was awarded a medal for humility and then for the rest of his life wore that medal to church every day. That's That's not true humility. True humility is worn by us but it's observed by others. true humility is worn by us, but it's observed by others, and no one worried better than the Lord Jesus, even as a boy of twelve, he knew that who he was, he knew his, who his father was, and yet you see that after the episode in the temple, he goes back and he is subject and obedient to his parents. Peter supports this exhortation by quoting proverbs three hundred and thirty four and that's uh, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs three and verse thirty-four. Solomon wrote those proverbs partly to his own children, and and to all of us. But his son Rehoboam did exactly the opposite of it, didn't he? If you remember the uh, the story in First Kings eleven, after Solomon's death, Rehoboam becomes king, and he does the exact opposite of what that proverb states. He uh, the people came to him asking for tax relief from the heavy, heavy taxes that Solomon had imposed. And so he calls And first he calls in the older advisors, and they tell him, yes, please listen to the people, do that, and they will follow you. And then he calls his younger advisors, and they said, no, don't do that. In fact, be much more uh, aggressive, and that's what he listens to the younger. He does that. The people revolt, and the kingdom will ultimately be split. He did not listen. He was... Proud, not humble. And it says God resists the proud. Pride was the original sin in Satan, who sought to be equal with God. Pride was also the sin in Eve, who uh, listened to Satan's lies, that if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they would be like God. That's what led to her sin. Pride is the first of the seven deadly sins that are listed for us in Proverbs chapter 6 says, haughty eyes, pride. Submission is an act of faith. Let me say that again. Submission is an act of faith. We are trusting God that He knows what's best for us and will direct and work out His purposes in our lives. Let me say that again. We, know, we are trusting God that He knows what's best for us and will direct and work His purposes in our lives. Philippians six says, uh you know he will he will do the work, carry it to completion. It takes faith to submit to that because the long the road might be long and hard and weary, and we may not see God's hand. We might think what what is God doing? But are we willing to submit by faith to his hand, knowing that he knows that he's a good God, he's a good Father, He's a loving Heavenly Father, and that He will carry us through. My dad had the gift of humility to, to the point of naivety sometimes, and uh, there was a brother who shared at his funeral, who talked about it. Dad was fairly high up in the government service at that time. You know, Ed in Bombay, it was, which was one of the biggest cities. He was in the telephones, which was that time. This was long before cell phones and everything. That time, it was controlled by the what would be the federal government here. It was the central, what they called the central government there, and he was he was the second in line in. In, ba- in the Bombay Telephone, and he had about, you know, 50,000 employees under his direction. And there was a brother who had come, who was also, uh, you know, coming up the ladder, and he had heard that there's, there's this brother who's so high up in uh, in, in the assembly, and, and he said he came, and he saw early on, he came early that, the first time he was posted, and he came in, and he saw there was a the brother, just dressed simply, and they had chairs at the back, but they also laid out mats where people sat on the floor. They had this brother who was rolling out the mats, and he said that made an impression on me because only later on he found out that it was this high-up person who was who was doing that. Humil—true humility is not thinking of ourselves at all. It's Jesus, it's others, and then it's you. So humility is. Required humility is reasonable. Thirdly, humility is rewarded. Humility is rewarded. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. That He may exalt you in due time. The key phrase there is in due time. God does not exalt His children unless they are ready for it. Let me say that again. God does not exalt His children unless they are ready for it. Remember, Moses was 40 years in the Deserts of Midian before God sent him to lead his people out of Egypt. Well, uh, Joseph was at least around 13 years or so in prison, in uh, suffering, before the Lord lifted the, him up, second only to Pharaoh. Perhaps uh, Peter was remembering the parable that Jesus told in Luke 14 his denunciation of the Pharisees who always sought the places of honor. Remember the parable the story of the wedding feast or feast that was taking place and the man comes in and considers himself really important. So he goes up to the front and sits down there. And then later on, someone who's more important shows up and the host asks him to move down and brings the other person in. And the Lord says, no, take the lower seat. And then when you're asked to move up, then you will be honored humility is rewarded in due time I remember reading the account of two missionaries around the time of President Roosevelt they were coming back by ship from a lifetime of serving the Lord overseas and just husband and wife and President Roosevelt was on, apparently on that ship and, and there was this big you know, hoopla of people coming to greet the President and all the pomp and circumstance associated with that and then this missionary couple comes down and not even their family they were not family wasn't able to come and they, they were, there was nobody to greet them after years of faithful service to the Lord and the missionary writes Lord it would have been nice if someone had come to call us home to welcome us home and the Lord clearly speaking to them you're not home yet my child you're not home yet our reward will be in the Lord's time perhaps it might be only at his coming but he will reward the humbly humble. When we see the exhortation of verses five and six in our lives, then verse seven. Then verse seven can become a reality. Casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. The Greek word for casting is the word eperpto E P I R I P T O. It's used only one other place in scripture. And that's in Luke 19. It's in the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Where they get the colt. And what do the disciples do? It says they cast their cloak on the colt as a makeshift saddle. I love the imagery of that because really what they were doing were taking off their cloaks. Putting it on that colt. And then the Lord controls that colt. That is casting our cares, taking it off of us, putting it on the Lord, and then not trying to pull it back. We've been doing that as a family for Kristen. We had to do that as a couple this past week. We, had, we were with Kristen for her chemo on Thursday, then after she came home and had dinner, we came back home. We wanted to go see my grandniece. In uh, with my who lives with my sister in Toledo, outside of Toledo, Perrysburg, and because uh, she's t- took a che- teaching job on the island of Molokai in Hawaii, and she's leaving mid July, so we wanted to see her. This was the only weekend we could go see her before she left. So we'd come back on Friday morning. We were going to do that, and I was having some pain around my belly button area. It was kind of sore and tender, and so. We were debating whether we should go or not. And I said, yeah, let's go. I took some towel on. It got better. We went and we, you know, we were there. We had dinner with them and then getting ready for bed. And then the pain was getting worse. And uh, Joyce and I are looking at each other. You have two doctors not knowing what to do. (laughs) Should we stay? Because we are wondering if it's some kind of a strangulated hernia or something, you know, which could get worse, which may not. So... uh, we were de- debating what to do. If we had to go to the hospital, we'd rather be here in Cincinnati than in Toledo. So ultimately we uh, decided we'll leave. This was around 10.30 at night. So we drove back on Friday night. We had got there on Friday afternoon. We drove back on Friday night and came home and you know, took some Tums and Tylenol. And I said, I'll drive because that'll keep my mind off the pains, which I did. So through that drive, and know, he said, let's put on some music. We got an instrumental guitar uh, thing on YouTube that was playing. And I said, I'll mention those songs. So the first song that came up was It Is Well With My Soul. And a couple songs later was Amazing Grace. It was Blessed Assurance. It's almost like every song. The Lord reassuring us that He is with us. Casting all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. Came back, I was able to sleep well. I mean, the pain wasn't that bad by the time we got back. Yesterday morning was spent in the ER at Bethesda <laughs> trying to find out what this is. And the medical diagnosis is called <laughs> epiploic appendagitis. It's not appendicitis. On the outside of your large bowel colon, are little fat pockets. the more obese you are the more you have of those and they can get twisted or whatever sometimes and they cause pain and there was something that was twisted and it was right above the belly button area everything else was totally normal so yeah there's nothing to do right away in most cases it resolves if it gets worse you and you have a surgery referral but you know casting all your cares on him for he cares for you. For he cares for you. We must once and for all give all of our cares and worries, past, present, and future to the Lord. Not piecemeal, keeping the small cares for ourselves and just the big ones for the Lord. No, give all of it to him. Give all of it to him. I'm not sure what cares you have this morning. The Lord can take care of it. For he cares for you. Casting all Your cares on Him. And when you do that, what does He do for us? May I suggest a few things. Firstly, He gives us the courage to face our fears honestly. He gives us the courage to face our fears honestly. Isaiah 41 and verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed. For I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Then He gives us wisdom to understand the situation. James Chapter five, uh, chapter one, verse five. God, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives very grudgingly. Not what the word says, does it? He says it gives liberally. Then he gives us the strength to do what we must do. Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I remember talking to Jack about his triathlon, and he said there were times to It's the when. He we was so exhausted in the water holding on to the kayak and just saying that verse, I can do all things through Christ to strengthen me. He does. He strengthens us. And then fourthly, he gives us the faith to trust him to do the rest. He gives us the faith to trust him to do the rest. Psalm 37 verse 5, Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. So humility is rewarded. Let's move on. Be watchful. Be watchful. One of the reasons we have cares in this world is because we live in a fallen world and we have an enemy, Satan. Firstly, don't underestimate the devil. Verse 8, don't underestimate the devil. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan is a dangerous enemy, but he's also a defeated enemy. He is a serpent who can bite us when we least expect it. He has great power and intelligence, and he has a host of demons who work for him. And his way to work in our lives is often to tell us a lie. He can, he can say whatever the temptation is, you'll get away with it. You can't, you know, you can get away with that. It's only a small thing. It's only a small sin. No one will be hurt. And then when you do fall into sin, he tells you, you'll never get away with that sin. God will never forgive that. Both of those are wrong. Both those statements are lies. Firstly, you'll never get away with it. The psalmist in Psalm 139 says, Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the highest heaven or the deepest pit, you are with me. You'll never get away with it. But the second lie is even greater, that God will not forgive you. No. When you confess your sin, He forgives us. For 1 John nine, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some of our unrighteousness again, miscoding the scripture no, to cleanse us from all to cleanse us from all unrighteousness keep short accounts with God keep short accounts with God when you sin, confess it immediately and the Lord will forgive you secondly, the devil is deceitful and he's a great pretender Second Corinthians 11 verse 14 says Satan can masquerade as an angel of light it says second, he, he can masquerade as an angel of light because he is a subtle foe and deceitful we must be sober and vigilant and on our guard you know Satan knows which buttons to push he knows our weaknesses whether it's sexual temptation, emotional instability covetousness, bitterness an unforgiving spirit he knows which buttons to push You know, today with the Internet and all that it brings about, there are so many different kinds of scams that are perpetrated on the Internet, aren't they? And they know which buttons to push because they have some information about you, so they'll try to bring something that you get interested in, and then along comes the scam. And Satan would always succeed if it were not for two things. Firstly, we have this. We have the Word of God. When the Lord Jesus was tempted in the wilderness... How did he respond? In all three temptations he said It is written It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone But by every word that comes from the mouth of God It is written uh, You shall not tempt the Lord your God And it is written You shall worship the Lord your God And him alone shall you serve So we have firstly the word of God But to be able to use the word of God We need to know the word of God To be able to know the word of God we need to read and meditate on the word of God are you doing that are you doing that promise keepers had a survey many years ago of pastors who had fallen from grace the number one reason they quoted their fall was not spending enough time in the word they read all kinds of good Christian books and authors and commentaries and all of that but not spending actual time in the word of God one of the biggest, biggest regrets of my life is that I've only become a s- serious student of the Word in the last 30 years or so. Those first 30 years were really not spent in the Word of God. Yes, I'd read it periodically, but not. Young people who are here this morning, don't think the Word of God is just for old folks. Read and meditate, study the Word of God and apply it to your life. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. And secondly, the word of God, and secondly, the Holy Spirit. All those who have trusted Jesus as their Savior by faith have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the Spirit prompts us and reveals to us the things of God. Do you listen for the Spirit's leading in your life? Do you listen for the Spirit's leading in your life? Sin can grieve the Holy Spirit and repeat it. Willful sin can quench the Holy Spirit So that you don't listen to His promise Is there unconfessed sin in your life That is preventing you from hearing the Spirit Speaking to you If so, confess that and He yields Faithful and just to forgive us our sins And to cleanse us Thirdly, resist the devil Resist the devil Ephesians 4 and verse 27 says Nor give place Nor give place to the devil The word that's used for place is the same word as a foothold. You know, if you're climbing a rock wall or you're walking up a hillside, you look for footholds as you go up. So you put your weight on that foothold and then you move to the next level. Both Paul and Peter are saying essentially the same thing. Don't give the devil a foothold to stand on in your life so that it will tempt you even further and fall further into sin. Whatever that foothold might be in your own life, whether it's anger, Whether it's bitterness, whether it's an unforgiving spirit, whether it's sexual temptation, whether it's an addiction, or even something that's just taking time away from God. Don't give Satan a foothold in your life. You know, on the internet today, if you click on something, a product or an image, pretty soon, almost instantaneously, other things will pop up trying to tempt you. Because there are all these algorithms that, you know, see what you do, and immediately, and then in future times when you log on, those things keep coming back. Don't give Satan a foothold, nor give place to the devil, Ephesians 4.27. Don't give Satan a foothold, so that you fall further into sin. So I said that our weapons are the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and thirdly, third weapon is prayer. Remember, we have a faithful high priest, whoever lives To make intercession for us. When the Lord was here on earth. Perhaps Peter remembered his saying. Simon, Simon. Satan has decided to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you Simon. And he has prayed for you. Whether it's Jack. Whether it's Caleb. Whether it's Chris. He prays for us. He prays for us. Ever lives to make intercession for us. How thankful I am for that. And we have prayers of fellow believers too, don't we? That continue to pray faithfully. And then we also have, he's not only prays for us, but he's also our advocate. When Satan comes as the accuser of the brethren, he comes and accuses. He's our advocate. And as Phil said a couple of weeks back, as Jim Adams, our former elder, used to say, he never loses a case. He has never lost a case. He will never lose a case. He is our high priest and our advocate. One additional caution I would mention with Satan, don't discuss reason or rationalize. Try to rationalize things with Satan. Eve fell into that trap in the Garden of Eden. Also, as Peter states here, you are not the only one being tempted. There are others who are going through trials and difficulties too, so don't feel that you are the only one who is being tempted. Elijah thought that he was the only one, and God had to speak to him in that still small voice when he was outside the cave. (laughs) there's 7,000 who have not bowed bowed the need to bail go back, you have work to do I love that song that uh, we used to sing as a uh, a as a child I don't think it's in our hymn book maybe it is yield not to temptation yield not to temptation for yielding is sin being tempted is not sin yielding is the song goes, yield not to temptation for yielding is sin each victory will help you some other to win fight manfully onward dark passions subdue ask the savior to help you he will carry you through and then the chorus says ask the savior to help you comfort, strengthen and keep you he is willing to aid you he will carry you through he will carry you through and the victories that you win encourage others too not just yourself so resist the devil so be firstly be uh, humble be watchful Thirdly, and quickly, be hopeful. Be hopeful, verses 10 and 11. Before his final concluding verses, Peter ends this letter on a hopeful note, reminding his readers that God knew what he was doing and that he was in complete control. God knew, God knows what he is doing and is in complete control. We need to be reminded of that. It might not have seemed like that to Moses in the wilderness of Midian, It might not have seemed like that to Joseph in the Egyptian prison. It might not have seemed like that to David as he fled and continued to flee from Saul. It might not seem like that this morning in the situation you and I are in. But he is in complete control. Remember I said submission is an act of faith. We need to rest on the fact that God is in control, no matter how fiery and how difficult the trial. A Christian always has hope. Why do we have hope? Well, Peter gives several reasons. Firstly, we have God's grace. We have God's grace. Our salvation is all of grace. Ephesians 2 verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith. We have tasted that the Lord is gracious. 1 Peter 2 verse 3. Salvation is because of His grace. 1 Peter 1 and verse 10. 1 Peter 4 and 10 says His grace is manifold and meets every need. And Paul gives us that same uh thought in Second Corinthians 12.9. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient for us. As Paul dealt with his stone in the flesh. In one of Chuck Swindoll's books, uh, he writes about about an episode he heard about from one of his mentors. It was before his time. And it was at the auditorium at Dallas Theological Seminary. And Louis Sperry Schaefer, who was one of the founders of DTS, was speaking towards the end of his life and his career Lewis Schaefer was a man of God and he was in his wheelchair, I think he was in his early 80's and he recounts, he writes about this, he was teaching this, and let me read this he was teaching from this particular semester from a wheelchair it was days before they had air conditioning I guess And he said he was mopping the perspiration from his brow, it was Dallas early summer no one in the class moved as the session ended It was as though the young theologians were basking in what they had heard, awestruck with their professor's insights and enthusiasm about God's matchless grace. The gray-haired gentleman, that's Schaefer, rolled his chair to the door, and as he flipped the light switch of the projector off, the class spontaneously broke into thunderous applause. As the beloved theologian wiped away his tears, head bowed, he lifted one hand, gesturing for them to stop applauding. He had one closing remark as he looked across the room with a gentle smile. Amid the deafening silence, he spoke softly, Gentlemen, for over half my life, I have been studying this truth of God's grace, and I am just beginning to discover what the grace of God is all about. I am just beginning to discover what the grace of God is all about. Within a matter of three short months after that, the stately champion of grace was ushered into the Lord's presence. As a family, we are just beginning to discover what His grace is all about. I love Annie Johnson Flint's hymn. He giveth more grace as the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To add in afflictions, He added His mercy. To multiply trials, he multiplies peace. And then it says later on in the song, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. That's what Schaeffer was saying. I've just begun to understand this grace. Philip Yancey has a book, What's So Amazing About Grace? If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to do that. He examines the topic of grace So firstly, we have God's grace. We can be hopeful because we know we are bound for glory. We are bound for glory. He has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. In the upper room in John 17, the Lord speaking to his father prayed, I have given them the glory. The glory that I had, I've already given them. John 17, verse 22. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. Not because of any merit or goodness or something on our part, it's all of grace. It's all of grace. We deserve the penalty of our sins, death. Not only does He give us eternal life, He gives us glory. He gives us glory. Song number 195 in the Black Book says, And is it so? I shall be like thy son. Is this the grace which He for me has won? Yes, it is so. We shall be like His Son. Hallelujah. Do you long for that? I do. 1 John 3 verse 3 says, When we see Him, we shall be like Him. Psalm 84 verse 11 says, The Lord will give grace and glory. Whatever begins with God's grace always leads to God's glory. So firstly, we have God's grace. Secondly, we know we are bound for glory. Thirdly, we can be hopeful because our present suffering is temporary. After you have suffered a while, perfect, established, and then the rest of the verse, our suffering is temporary. One of the traditions we had in India was uh, on New Year's Eve, we used to have a watch night service that we ended the year in the presence in the house of the Lord. It was a time of prayer, of worship, and of uh, exhortation from the word. But one of the traditions that some of the assemblies had was you get, they would have promi- bookmarks with verses on them that someone had prepared, and you'd go in front and, you know, they'd sing a song, you'd go and pick up your verse. And you considered that as coming from the Lord in a sense. And I, one, I remember one time, perhaps I must have been 10 or 11, and and the verse I got was this verse, verse uh 10, but may the God of all grace who called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while perfect is time of strength and I remember as a young boy I was so focused on that after you have suffered a while, Why, why why does, does the Lord want me to suffer that I didn't appreciate the rest of the worst, that's what happens with us then when we go through suffering sometimes we forget the rest of it, the God of grace who called us to his glory we have all his grace, we have Bound for glory. Suffering a while. It's not just suffering eternally. Yes, you will suffer eternally if you don't know Him as your Savior. But after you've suffered a while, that He strengthens and perfects and establishes you. Our suffering is only temporary. The Apostle Paul expresses the same thought. Second Corinthians 4, verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So our present suffering is temporary. And fourthly, we can be hopeful because we know that our trials are building character. Our trials are building character. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You know, the Greek word translated, make you perfect, means to equip or to adjust or to fit together. Surprisingly, it's the same verse that is used for in uh, Matthew 4.21. It's the same word that's used for men, when uh, the Lord saw James and John mending their nets, repairing, fixing, adjusting their nets. It's the same word that's used to make you perfect. And God has several tools He uses to adjust and equip His people. Suffering is one of them. Suffering is one of them. But the Word of God is another. For 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and instruction so that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Peter uses three words here to describe the kind of character that God wants us to have. Firstly, established, meaning to fix firmly, to set fast, to be steadfast. First Thessalonians 3, verse 3 says our hearts need to be established. Secondly, strengthened means just that. God gives us his strength to meet the demands of life. In uh, Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says his strength is made, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And settle is a word that's used to uh, describe laying a foundation in Matthew 7. Remember the Lord talking about the house on the rock that withstood the storm. So establish, strengthen, and settle. A believer who is equipped by God will continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and not tossed about by every wind of doctrine or tossed about by suffering. With all of these truths, how can we not be hopeful how can we not be hopeful you see when an unbeliever goes through suffering he or she can lose hope but for a believer suffering only increases his or her hope Romans 5 verses 3 and 4 says not only so but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope character hope one of the other songs that played, well, on I drive back from Perrysburg to Cincinnati, the guitarist was, he wasn't a very fancy guitarist, he just played kind of basic melody. One of the songs he played was All the Way My Savior Leads Me. And I've shared this before, so I'll just be brief about it. My oldest sister, who is now home with the Lord, the last five years or so of her life was bedridden, and she was... Uh, They never really had a good diagnosis. and The final diagnosis was what they called atypical Parkinson's because they really didn't know what it was. But when I used to go to visit my mom twice a year, for over a span of 12 years that my mom lived alone after going back from here, I would visit my sister too. And uh, the sister that whole family is very musical. They've recorded a number of songs, and her her dad, who also home with the Lord, had written a number of songs in in their native uh, language, But she would like to sing when we, and she would kind of mouth the words. And her favorite hymn was this one, All the Way. My Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whatever befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. We sang earlier, Christ Jesus hath done all things well that was in a sense a past tense he continues to do all things well the last couple of verses very quickly are a conclusion Sylvanus was the man who carried Peter's letters to the churches perhaps he wrote it, it says by Sylvanus. he might have written at Peter's dictation she who is in Babylon some commentators think it might mean Rome but more likely it's the church in Babylon there was a huge Babylonian, uh, Jewish presence in Babylon after the cap- captivity And likely refers to the church in Babylon. Mark refers to John Mark, who was probably led to faith by Peter. And he calls him my son in other places, too, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And then Peter ends his epistle with a salutation of peace. Peace be unto you. He likely remembered the Lord's greeting to them in the upper room where they were huddled in fear and the Lord comes and says, "Peace be to you." A week later, when Thomas is there, same greeting, "Peace be to you." And the Lord, and Peter ends his epistle with that, "Peace be unto you." I trust the study of this epistle has been a blessing to you all. God willing, we will be looking at Second Peter uh, in the second Sunday in September. Written to suffering Christians, Peter describes our living hope based on the risen Savior. The index. Indescribable or unspeakable joy and glory that we have received salvation. We're building, we're being built up as a people of God. We are precious to Him. We are admonished to be submissive to God and to one another. And as we've seen today in this closing, be humble, be watchful, be hopeful. Do you have that living hope? Do you have peace with God do you have that joy unspeakable and full of glory do you have the assurance that you are bound for glory if you do, praise God but if not wouldn't you like to have that that whatever the Lord takes us through you can be hopeful because his suffering is only temporary he has died for your and my sin. And those who trust in him will never die. The Lord said that to Martha outside Lazarus' tomb. I am the resurrection and the life. He who lives and believes in me will live even though he died. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? If you haven't trusted him as Savior, I pray this would be the day of salvation. You can leave from here rejoicing. Not just you rejoicing, there's rejoicing in heaven when one person comes to salvation. And you can have that hope too. I pray that will be true of you. And for those of us who know him, may we continue to serve him faithfully. Be humble, be watchful, be prayerful. May the name of the Lord be blessed. Let's, let's close the prayer. Father, we just thank you for the word of God. We thank you for this epistle of First Peter that we've been able to study. Thank you for the assurance, surety, the living hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and all of the blessings that come along in and through Him Lord I pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't have that hope that they would surrender their lives to you that they could go from here rejoicing that you love them so much that you came to die for them Lord Jesus and so that they can be in heaven with you for all eternity and for those of us who do know you Encourage us in times of suffering. Pray that you'd help us to look to you, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we may run our race with patience, and that you'd give us your grace for daily needs. Help us to show your love and grace to others also. Be with us as we go from here. and Dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.